0: Hello and welcome to Nightlight. The backlog of subjects that need to be addressed is stacking ever higher on my desk and on my heart, and one of the things I have to deal with in me every time I record these messages is that I don't bore you or impose upon you uh, with my opinions or what happens to be catching my attention. One of the difficulties that we all have is that we think everybody should be as concerned about the things that we're concerned with on the same level that we're concerned with them, and maybe we're in reaction to their lackadaisical self-imposed ignorance, or maybe they're just not called to do what you do or what I do, Uh, and I, I, I struggle with that. Because I'm always trying to tell somebody something because I think the urgency is great. But when the stacks get as high as they are now, I mean, where do you start? Every Every day, I get emails from various people telling me, did you know so-and-so happened? Did you see this headline? Did you hear about this? And uh, the Email and and, uh, online communication is vitally important, especially in a culture that no longer has a viable news service. I hope you all do know that. There is no journalism in America anymore. Uh, If you get your news from ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, and now even Fox, uh, you're getting badly tainted propaganda quite often. And Fox is just sliding in that direction more and more. So communication via email, uh, though you have to verify the validity of, of a lot of it, it's it's a very helpful thing. But you, you start reaching a point where you you say, wait a minute, I mean, I can't bail water fast enough. It's There's too much coming in, too much to focus on. And there's where you have to have... Uh, the voice of the commanding general who tells you where you need to be on the battlefield, and you only stay there and you do what you're being told to do until you get separate orders or different orders. You don't look around and, and see what all everybody else is doing and run to to join them, and then run to join them, and then run to join them. And the devil would be very happy to help you get over-involved to the point that you not only can't do a good job at anything, but lose interest in everything. And so, where do we need to be today? Where do we need to start? The nations are trembling. Uh, a friend of mine was with Derek Prince the night before, Derek went to be with the Lord. And he said to Derek in the course of conversation, where where are we? What, what, is, what do you sense is happening? And in a very weak voice, Derek said, God is keeping his promises to Israel and he is judging the nations. And uh, God is keeping his promises to Israel and he's judging the nations. And as a result of that, we are in a time of continuous shaking that is not going to relent. You know, just because gas prices are down, don't it can give you a, a, a euphoric, false sense of, ah, oh, finally, back to no- something's going back to normal. No, it's not going back to normal. There's <clears throat> very scary economic reasons why gas prices are low. They're not going to stay low. And uh, if you draw comfort from that, I I mean, don't get me wrong, I I definitely like being able to fill up my tank for less than $20 for the first time in 100 years. But I don't take any comfort in it. We're on a fast track toward a climax of history. And uh, though there may be lulls in the momentum, the momentum itself will not stop. So what does have to stop? I can't deal with the momentum. I'm not made to live in that kind of high intensity, constant momentum. I pray that every month when you receive this letter, you don't go, oh, I've got to hear that again. I pray that it brings strength and comfort and hope and encouragement, as well as information that you need. Uh, you have jobs and people to take care of and a life to live. You don't have time to do what I do. I'm called to do what I do so I can help you do what you do. I hope I don't give you the impression you ought to be doing what I do. But the one thing that I need to do and you need to do and we all need to do is find our place in the rising tide and listen to the voice of our captain and obey Him and be where He tells us to be, doing what He tells us to do at the right time and in the right spirit, in the right heart. And the only way to do that is to make sure that above all other things, we are loyal to Jesus. And when I speak of loyalty to the Lord Jesus... That that entails many other subjects. I could call it practicing the presence of Jesus. I could talk about listening to his voice. I could talk about uh, making sure that I've not lost my first love, that he is the supreme focus of my heart. Uh, I could talk about faith. All those words are different manifestations of loyalty. Or I could say loyalty is just another word uh, to cover the manifestation of, of faith or f- faithfulness, loyalty, faithfulness, trust, all those words. But the reason I focus on loyalty specifically right now is because loyalty has to do not so much with private exerting of faith or private trust in the Lord You can trust the Lord, you can have faith in the Lord, but loyalty has to do with whether you are faithful to him in moments when he doesn't seem to be manifesting himself in a way that you need or think you need, or even more so, are you loyal to him in the outward everyday interactions with people where you have opportunity to stand true to him And you don't do it. Whether in word or in deed or in testimony or in behavior or in life choices, are you loyal to Jesus? But another area of loyalty to Jesus is loyalty to who he really is. I listened on a recent road trip to a book on audio. By a young pastor that uh, was recommended to me, I listened to it for six hours, three hours going and three hours back. And uh, I don't normally do that. I normally kind of mix it up with other things or, or just drive quietly, if you can believe I actually do that sometimes. But I couldn't turn it off. It was wonderful. It was There was not one word in those six hours that I disagreed with. There was not one word that I didn't wish other people I love could hear. It was, it was an excellent presentation on the, the the life of prayer and faith and faithfulness to God. But I got home and there was an email waiting for me. It just happened to be, I think, set up by the Lord probably, but there was an email from a friend of mine and it was about this young pastor. And I love this young pastor. I've never met him, don't know much about him. I know a little bit about him just from his own teaching, but I loved everything about him and I loved him. And I'm sure if I knew him, I'd love him more. But it was a, it was a message about some obvious financial mal, malpractice related to his ministry. Well there's no there's nothing new under the sun you know money sex and power are always the the three hooks the enemy throws out to to hook especially men in leadership money sex and power you, you this kid's teaching 6 hours of it i'm telling you i've heard men twice his age that didn't have half his insight uh twice his age and didn't have half his anointing twice his age and didn't have half his uh, zeal and and commitment. And I thought, you know, this is just such an encouragement. And it is an encouragement. I mean, he's he's pastor of a church of several thousand young people. And I'm thankful for it. It's, it's that Joshua generation that uh, we've talked about and prayed for and interceded for for the last 30 years. But like all of us, the devil couldn't get a hook in him with immorality. Maybe he couldn't get a hook in him with uh, power and arrogance. But he got a hook in him with money. And uh, it just brings me back to the, the question of our loyalty to Jesus. See, we're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. We're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful. Uh, Everybody knows the words to Amazing Grace. But I don't know if any of you know the words to another song written also by John Newton. He wrote several really wonderful hymns. But here's one that you may not have ever heard. And I think for those of you who are in overcast winter climates, suffering from uh, too much overcast, you'll really relate to this. You probably can easily uh, envision John Newton uh, sitting at a window on a cold winter's British afternoon with dark overcast that he's been seeing day in and day out for weeks, maybe months. And Surely that's what inspired the words to this, but I want you to listen to it. How tedious and tasteless the hours when Jesus no longer I see. Sweet prospects, sweet birds, and sweet flowers have all lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines dim. The fields strive in vain to look gay, but when I am happy with him, December's as pleasant as May His name yields the richest perfume And sweeter than music his voice His presence disperses my gloom And makes all within me rejoice I should, were he always thus nigh Have nothing to wish or to fear No mortal so happy as I My summer would last all the year Content with beholding his face, my all to his pleasure resigned, no changes of season or place would make any change in my mind. While blessed with a sense of his love, a palace, a toy would appear, and prisons would palaces prove if Jesus would dwell with me there. Dear Lord, if indeed I am thine, if thou art my son and my song, then why do I languish and pine? And why are my winters so long? O oh, drive these dark clouds from my sky, thy soul cheering presence restore, take me unto thee on high, where winter and clouds are no more. He probably didn't anticipate that becoming a hymn in a hymn book that would be sung by people hundreds of years later. I think he may have probably written it just just to survive his own winter. But there's so much power and truth in what he's saying there. How do we get hooked into diversions that can lead us off into such train wrecks? Well, it's when our winters are too long or our our times of emptiness seem un unending and we start looking for something to jazz us up and give us a a boost emotionally we don't know how to be faithful because we don't know how to be loyal faithfulness and loyalty are related certainly they're almost interchangeable words but loyalty to Jesus is something that is at a high premium in our, in our current Christian culture. Very few people are loyal to Jesus in the areas where their own personal needs and desires and aspirations and wishes are still fully alive. See, those desires and wishes and aspirations are not wrong in themselves, but they are fleshly they produce dead fruit if they haven't gone through the cross. Only that which has been brought to the cross and dealt with by the cross can then have resurrection power. And only that which has been resurrected in power by the Holy Spirit has capacity to endure. So our disloyalty, that which does not endure, that which does not stand faithful to Christ in the midst of either the marketplace or temptation or bad theology or pop culture christianity that wants to soft pedal the cross so we don't make people angry that that kind of lo- disloyalty is is coming out of the part of our soul that is still clinging to its own way and its own will and its own wishes and own desires And until it goes through the cross and is resurrected, it will produce dead fruit, bad fruit. Another thing about the lyrics in this song that really capture my attention is that line that says, Content with beholding your face, my all in your pleasure resigned, no changes of season or place, would make any change in my mind. First time I read that phrase, it just (laughs) captured my heart, because that's me. Boy, you talk about moody. Discovering uh, how much my moods dominated and controlled my demeanor and my emotional temperature was both a revelation and a shock and both a liberation and a rebuke for me because uh, uh I was always subject to to what was what the weather was you know a gloomy day rainy days and Mondays always get me down you know it wasn't necessarily the atmosphere of the sky it was whatever atmosphere was in in my particular realm i mean i grew up I grew up with a great deal of dark corners and gloomy rooms and the lack of sunlight and dark shadows and night times were pretty terrifying. And as an adult, I carried that atmosphere inside of me. I had to keep myself stimulated with something. Um, And even after I came to know the Lord, I still held on to those stimulants, whether they were food, or friendship, or fantasy, or uh, some some focus. Isn't that cute? That all started with F. I didn't even plan that. What a great teacher I am. Anyway, uh, you get the point. I love what Oswald Chambers says about moods. He says, moods are not for praying moods are for kicking. Don't you love chambers? And speaking of chambers, when it comes to the whole issue of loyalty to Jesus without being subject to moods and without being subject to emotions or other people's emotions or whatever's going on in the room or in the news or in the air or in uh, whatever part of the world you're in... Uh, the reason Chambers means so much to us all, those of us who draw from him so often, is because he he lived this out perfectly as as great as perfectly as any man I've ever read after, uh, living in the battlefields of World War I and not only in the battlefield but responsible as a chaplain to care for uh, the families of those whose sons had died that day. He started his day getting up out of a a, a, a bunk that was quite often full of sand from the sandstorms that blew in off the Egyptian desert. And then he'd rake the sand out of his bunk, and then he would uh, begin his day in, in prayer and time with the Lord. And then he spent the rest of his early, early morning before sunrise Writing letters of condolence to the mothers and fathers of those of their sons who had been killed in battle the day before. But everybody who knew Oswald Chambers report the same thing. They they talk about his absolute joy to be around him. It was just he had a he had a hilarious sense of humor. But equally he had a penetrating capacity to look into the soul of any person and help them understand how to get to the bottom of what what has them bound up and he lived this consistently and uh, he one of the things you note in his writing if you if you've ever read any of his writing uh, he makes reference repeatedly of the joy of serving and loving Jesus in the midst of drudgery the word drudgery you know, in our culture, the word drudgery has almost come to mean uh, torture, but in his vernacular, it just meant the daily demands of the of the task of living. Uh, you know, a culture that doesn't have all the accoutrements of entertainment that we are drowning in uh, would just see drudgery as it's not a despicable word. It's just a reference to the day-in, day-out difficulties of washing clothes and washing dishes and scrubbing floors and doing all the tasks of the day. I mean, I I feel like I'm in drudgery when I have to drive downtown to the post office. Poor Clay. But uh, here's a man who's dealing with life and death issues, as well as having to scoop sand out of his bed pretty regularly. And there's not any smack of self-pity or moodiness in him at all. Why? Because he understood what John Newton was talking about in in the hymn. Uh, If I have you, December's is as beautiful as May. I carry my atmosphere on the inside of me, and that insulates me from whatever atmosphere on the outside of me may be dark and I'll tell you when you when you operate in that understanding and you learn to live that way which is what Jesus called abiding in him if you abide in me and I abide in you your joy will be full Jesus said in John 15 so I mean how many of us hear this and doctrinally know it we can quote the, maybe even quote the Bible verse we hear it doctrinally but we don't do it. When you begin to do it, then God's promise related to it begins to manifest. I just recently had an encounter uh, in my own private life. I'm 60 years old, so I'm kind of ashamed to admit this, but there are certain areas of my thinking that I've just wrestled with since boyhood. And uh I just finally came to some point, I don't know when I did it, at some point in my young adulthood, I just said, well, it's never going to change. I'm just going to have to learn to live with it. And So when I learned to live with it, it moved in and took up a space in the corner of my brain. And whenever it had a chance, it exuded its influence on my moods and my feelings and my emotions. And uh I... I was sitting here in my study reading Andrew Murray. Actually, I was reading Andrew Murray on the cross. And uh, I just read this simple statement Murray makes in his writing on the cross when he says, um, if you ask for the, the blessing of the new covenant where God promises that he will write his laws on your heart, and on your mind and cause you to walk in his ways, he will do it. And the Holy Spirit just brought that up to me. Forty years of let this one particular emotion and memory and emotion and all the emotion that goes with that. The, the 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 memory produces an emotion and the emotion produces a mood and the mood produces a an, an inner bondage that exudes itself into the atmosphere around me in the room. And I've been carrying that poison unconsciously. It was conscious for years. Then it became unconscious, but not because I I dealt with it, but because I didn't deal with it. And because I didn't deal with it, it went into a hiding place like a like a, a rodent or a serpent. There's I love C.S. Lewis' statement that there's not a little hell in our heaven. God's not going to allow a little bit of hell in our heaven. He who has begun a good work in us will complete it. And so it was progress. I, I really enjoyed a sense of freedom and peace and joy because of that corner that has been cleaned out and the light has poured into it uh, in a way that has changed my demeanor on several levels. That's just this is one example. but uh, loyalty to Jesus folks is loyalty to him privately, in, in what we allow in our thinking, what we allow in our, Im, our um, imagination, what we allow in our thought process processes. It's loyalty to him theologically that we, we don't compromise with who He is, He is the living God. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. His blood is the only cleansing power in the universe for the weight of sin. There is no hope apart from Him. Uh, Only through Him uh, is there salvation. We don't compromise on that to placate some silly, politically correct atmosphere. And if you're in a church that has that atmosphere, you're not in a church anymore. You need to find, uh, either that's your mission field where you preach till they kick you out, or you get out before they turn you into them. Uh, But loyalty to Jesus also has to do with how we take our stand in the public forum of uh, the conflicts of the age, you know, Martin Luther said, if you claim to preach the gospel, but fail to preach the truth about the issue of your day, you are not preaching the gospel. And so with all my heart, I believe that if we are going to be loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ in our day, there's several things that are not negotiable if you are a Christian how you relate to racism is not negotiable if you are a christian how you relate to the murder of babies is not negotiable how you rate how you relate to the practice of homosexual sex or adulterous sex or heterosexual perverted sex that's in other words how you relate to sex outside of a god ordained marriage between one man and one woman together for life is not negotiable and how we relate to all of this publicly is part of how we make our stand for Jesus if if you can if you can dissect your public stance for these issues from your private devotion to Jesus then your private devotion to Jesus is a sham. I read the lyrics from a song by John Newton a while ago. Speaking of John Newton in reference to this whole issue of standing in loyalty to Jesus against the tide of cultural deception, remember 10 years ago or so, the wonderful, well-produced film called Amazing Grace was produced Uh, which was the story of William Wilberforce, who, of course, was closely related to John Newton. And if you haven't seen that film, I hope you'll see it. But at the same time that that came out, I happened to see in a video store one afternoon another movie by the same title, but it was supposedly about John Newton instead of Wilberforce. And I thought, well, you know, it's worth seeing then. Got it home, and as Mary and I were watching it, it only took a few minutes for us to figure out uh, the, the the film, which was produced by a black film company, had produced the film not to communicate the gospel, not to celebrate the victory of Christian influence over the in the overthrow of the evil of slavery. Now, the message of the whole film was basically: black people don't need a savior. They've already shed their blood to cover any sin of theirs when they were under the yoke of slavery. Uh, John Newton might need his white man, Jesus, to save his white man's soul, but uh, we don't need any Savior. Now, unless you think that that's just an isolated situation, and God knows, of course we know, there are many, many godly black people who would call that blasphemy, but I'm talking about a spirit that has gained ascendancy in the culture. Let me let you hear this addressed by a black pastor, and not only a black pastor, but one who uh, pastors in the uh, city of New York in Harlem. Just listen to Dr. Uh, James Manning here.
1: See, black people, their religion is their blackness. (laughs) you didn't hear me. When that mother of the church left the church during the days of Obama, and so I called her, and I said to her, "Uh, you left the church? She said, yes, Pastor. She said, you're not for Obama. I said, but Obama believes in abortion, killing of babies in the womb. And mother, I believe he's a Muslim. He got a Muslim name. And he's raised up in that, listen, United Church of Christ under Jeremiah Wright with nothing but a mosque with a Christian name on it. That was running. It was a black nationalist mosque. Jeremiah Wright, where Oprah Winfrey went. So he spent 20 years there. No Christian would spend 20 years there with that. But she said, but he's black, Pastor Manning. He's black. We black people got to stick together. Bam, she hung up the phone. So I thought about it. I looked at the phone for a while. Her issue is this blackness before justice, blackness before righteousness. It doesn't matter what he has done. He's black, and that's all that counts, Pastor Manning. The only thing that counts about him is that he's black. Not whether he kills babies in the womb. Not whether he's a Muslim or not. That's not what's important. What's important, Pastor Manning, is he's black. And we black people got to stick together the way true Christians stick together. That's in her heart. She's been in the church all her life. She came to church over there at the Metropolitan Baptist Church as a little girl. She was up to sixty, seventy when she left here. Black people aren't Christians. They're black first. You ever wonder why? See, the religion of black people is their blackness. You are, we're going to have to deal with this if you're going to deal with black folk because they're not Christians. Black people's religion is of sort. If a black man Kills another black man on 125th Street, shoots him down 25 times or whatever. Uh, The news may pick it up, Amsterdam news may print it. But nobody talks about it. They even step over him and go into McDonald's and get a Big Mac. Because it's a black man killed a black man. But because black people aren't Christians and their religion is their skin color, they're not saved. I said, they're not saved, black people. Now, you can argue with this. Go ahead and argue. Remember all those sermons I preached when I was right? I'm just getting better. And you're not following. However, if a white man kills a black man, all hell breaks loose. Why? Because you kill one of ours. We can kill each other all day long and it don't mean nothing. Because what we as black people do to one another, if it's wrong, we can accept it and excuse it. The way we can accept and excuse the fact that Obama kills babies and that he's a Muslim, we can accept and excuse that. But if a white man does it all, hell breaks loose. Because our religion... The same way Christians are if you kill a Christian. Christians get up and armed. Or the same way Jews are if you kill a Jew. Well, if you kill a black man, you're gonna have hell to pay. But if a black man kills a black man, everybody goes to sleep. Talk to me. Talk to me. Are well, you not saved? I said, black people aren't saved. I've been on this earth long enough to observe and know. Y'all not saved. You're not, you're black. And you're black before anything else. So I think we're going to understand the work that God's given to us in this community. We need to understand what we're dealing with this particular group of people. First of all, i got to get safe. Every time we do something like so take back Harlem or, you know, whatever that we do, we do a lot of things. People are piled in here about, a, you know, big numbers. You've seen them do it. And they're ready. Oh, yeah, we're ready to take back Harlem. But I said, but we got to boycott black people. you got to be at your mind. We can't boycott our brothers. I said, but your brother takes your money and gives it to the white bank. long as he's doing it. <laughs> you see him walk away. They'll come in to see what I... But the moment I say we've got to do this as Christians, as Americans, as people of God, they all walk away. Because they're not saying black people are not Christians they're not Christians you can't unite them under Christianity but the moment I get up and start preaching blackness I won't have room enough to pack the people in if I started preaching black nationalism they'd be here in the thousands because they're not Christians They're not drawn to a Christian message. I said they're not drawn to the message of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They all respond to blackness. And they're not Christians. You're not Christians. You're not Christians. And you're not going to heaven. You're going to hell.
0: Loyalty to Jesus has to do with just exactly what Dr. Manning just said. Nobody wants to unite under the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only option to that is hell. So, the time of the separation of the wheat and the tares has come. We're in it. We're at the time of the harvest. We're at the time of the separation of light from dark. The gray area is disappearing. And the deciding factor is... Your loyalty or disloyalty to one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the spirit of Antichrist, which is what this is, Antichrist it seeks to replace Jesus with something else. So anything that seeks to displace Jesus is Antichrist. Forget 666 on your head and worrying about whether you can buy groceries at the grocery store without getting a stamp on you. That, That's not nearly as important as what's going on in our hearts in relation to faithfulness to Jesus. But the spirit, you see, this spirit of of blackness in this particular case that Dr. Manning is addressing, that seeks to align itself politically with the likes of an Obama and still claim to be Christian. By aligning themselves with Obama, they aligned themselves with the spirit of murder, which Obama uh, fully embraces and communicates uh, via his relationship to Planned Parenthood. You know where Planned Parenthood came from? Planned Parenthood was started by a a proto-Nazi named Margaret Sanger, who Adolf Hitler loved and welcomed to Germany when she was driven out of the United States because of her Bloodlust and her perverse ideas. And the Germans taught Margaret Sanger how to sell herself to the American people. You've got to quit calling yourself uh, by other names. You've got to find a euphemism that they can accept. And they taught her propaganda principles and came up with the idea of Planned Parenthood. She clearly stated her. Goal was the slow but sure annihilation of the black race. That's why Planned Parenthood always can be found in the, in the uh, poor parts of cities uh, among black people. Black people are murdering their babies more than any other group on the planet. So on, on the, the television uh, news at night, which I've gotten to where I can hardly bear, I mean, Mary and I watch it because we live in this community and we want to know what's going on, but I could write the script without ever turning the TV on and tell you, uh, there'll be three or four shootings that'll be reported at first, and then there'll be a couple other news items, then, uh, three or four more shootings, uh, as 12 and 13 and 14 and 18 and 17 year old boys, uh, Uh, raised with no conception of the value of life or no respect for themselves or for anybody else, Uh, soaked in the idiotic, mind-numbing stupidity of of pop culture, Uh, gets them a gun and goes around and shoots up uh, a birthday party or shoots randomly in somebody's window. And it breaks my heart as black mothers and black fathers weep over the death of their children, But, and I say this, in the fear of the Lord, they have aligned themselves with the spirit of murder, and so the spirit of murder comes and takes his harvest. They've aligned themselves with the murder of their babies, so then the same spirit of murder that takes their babies through Obama and Planned Parenthood then comes and takes their 13 and 14 and 15-year-olds because he has a right to it. All the while they can claim the name of the Lord, but they're operating in reality under the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of murder. And as Dr. Manning pointed out clearly, the only hope is not political. The only hope is not economic. The hope for a political or economic correction is only in Real conversion. And that only comes with real preaching of the real gospel, which is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for us to atone for our sins before a holy God who loves us but is wrathful toward evil, and there is no hope of avoiding that wrath apart from that shed blood. See, we tend to think that Antichrist comes with 666 six, six across his skull and kicks down your door and takes your bible and burns it in a stack of bibles in the street and that's that's not the real danger of antichrist the real the real danger that fights against the gospel is sloppy sentimentalism disguised as real religion it would take us in a direction we don't have time to pursue here, but let me just mention one thing I've noticed in my study of revival down through the history of the church. Wherever there was an outbreak of real revival, where people began to truly repent and cry out to God for, for mercy, where real conversions began to take place, you know what was raised up to stop that revival? Not some antichrist army. no. A counterfeit version of spirituality that kept all of the soft, warm, fuzzy feelings and all the religious talk, but just denied the cross, the blood, the atonement and the lordship of Jesus. Do away with Jesus and everything will be okay. Everything will be all right. Religion, we've got a religion that everybody can relate to. We can give you a latte and we can give you a comfortable seat in a, uh, a church service where nothing will be said to make you uncomfortable. Nothing will frighten you or distress you or cause you to examine your heart before a holy God. We are drowning in that kind of counterfeit stuff. Is the Holy Spirit moving in spite of it? Yes, thank God. Are there real conversions and real miracles and real life transformations taking place all over the place. But the wheat and the tares grow together and wheat and tares look just alike until the time of the harvest. And then the only way you can tell them apart is the wheat has fruit and the tares have none. Now, let me shift gears just quickly and address another spirit that has come in right behind racism and abortion, which Dr. Manning addressed, let me mention another spirit directly related to this. What else did Obama affirm in the black community? Homosexuality, same-sex marriage. But not only the black community, this battle has been going on for far too long. When we talk about loyalty to Jesus, let me say clearly, and again, this is too large a subject to try to address, even if I had a full hour and I'm trying to squeeze it in in the last minutes that we have, but it's too important to leave to a later time, so I'm going to open the can here and we'll try to address it more in detail later maybe. But the church has failed in addressing the the suffering of people with same-sex attractions. And, stupid and hillbilly level ignorance in pulpits that make idiotic statements like God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Well, that's just so helpful. That just makes everybody who's been suffering from God knows what kind of pain, from abuse, from neglect, from sexual um, trauma, that'll just make them all rush to the altar and receive the healing grace of God, won't it? The church is guilty. Of producing a great deal of the conflict and the uh confrontationalism that is going on in the culture, so-called culture war. And the church, until the church repents of its sins in this area, there'll be no healing. But having said all that, and I realize I'm not able to balance what I'm saying while I'm saying it, so I'm just gonna say what I have to say. There's a song that we used to do back in the 80s when my kids were in youth group in church and I was a pastor. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength, with all I am. I will seek to honor His commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. That song was written by a man that I greatly love and respect. His songs, his writing, his music carried us through those days of the 80s and into the early 90s. Many, many wonderful songs. But of all the songs that Ray Boltz wrote, I Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb was the one that meant the most to me. And I have not been able to sing it now for over 12, 13 years because... Maybe this is small of me, but I can't sing it because it hurts too much now. Since Raybolts announced that he would depart his wife and three children to enter into a same-sex relationship with a longtime lover. I heard how Christians long ago were brought before a tyrant's throne They were told that he would spare their lives if they would renounce the name of Christ. But one by one they chose to die. The Son of God they would not deny. Like a sweet angelic choir sings, I can almost hear their voices ring. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength, with all I am, I will seek to honor His commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. I'm a songwriter, and I'm also a man who came from deep sexual sin. So I have a deep love and affinity for Ray in both of those areas. But I can tell you this, I know from experience how easy it is to write great lyrics and then live opposite to them. I wrote a line one time that says, When men have lost all reason, and evil seems to win, then compromise is treason, and silence is a sin. Let all who hate the darkness prepare to stand and fight. The children of the morning must stand against the night. Great words. But boy, have I compromised ever since I wrote those words? Yeah, I have. Have I failed to live up to the lofty vision that they call us to? Yes, I have. Have I confessed my sin and repented? Yes, I have. Have I been cleansed and forgiven? Yes, I have. Whereas Ray chose, for whatever reason, to... Turn those words into an agonizing mockery of what they stand for. And so maybe one day I'll be able to sing that song again and lead it as other people sing it. But I, I can't do it. I can't even quote it without cracking up, so I don't think I would get very far trying to sing it. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength, with all I am except the part I want to keep for myself. And then I make up some new theology that makes it all okay. Homosexuality is the result of heterosexual sin. The offspring of adultery and pornography and fornication is homosexuality. It's as, it's as logical as planting corn and getting a corn crop. That if you plant years and years and years of fornication and adultery and then add to that aborting the offspring of those practices, murdering the babies that come from those unions, the next step is homosexuality. It is absolutely a given. It's logical. It, It flows easily one to the other. So, to try to rebuke and and, and shake our fist in the face or our finger in the face. We we shake a finger, but really it's a fist in the face of homosexually oriented people while never even looking at our sin of divorce, our sin of adultery, our sin of fornication. That 50% of Who knows the real statistic? 50%, they say, of pastors have a a pornography problem. And we're going to just isolate homosexuality and and treat it like the real sin. The rest of it, it's not as bad a sin because it's a natural sin. Yours is an unnatural sin. It's like cadavers making fun of each other, it's all dead, it's all destruction. Yes, there is an element of homosexual lust that takes a turn, that turns away from just the natural God-ordained attraction between the opposite sexes. And to that degree, there is definitely an element of degeneration in it. That, again, is too large to go into here. But but as intercessors, those of you who stand with me in in the, the, the nightlight family, who stand as lights in the darkness, Trusting God to to bring the light more and more into the darkness, we've got to understand the the genocide going on among the blacks is related directly to the political identifying of itself with a political ideology that is antichrist. I know there are godly people in in both sides of the aisle politically, but I, I'm increasingly wondering how anybody can be faithful to Jesus and be a Democrat or a Republican. I think more and more, we're just going to have to be God's people. And we're going to have to really, truly be God's people. And that means being faithful to the cross, faithful to the message of the cross, faithful to the Messiah who gave himself on that cross and rose from the dead and Open the gates for us to set the world free. Yeah. Let me read something to you. You won't hear this on the news. Overcome by the darkness, this young Grant High School student decided she would end her life at the end of the school day. But instead, she went to an on-campus Christian club and heard Brian Barcelona share with about 150 other students. After a stirring message, she came running to the front, weeping, She asked Brian to pray for her. She was going to commit suicide that day, but instead she found the Lord. About 2,500 students at 15 high schools hear the gospel each week through campus Christian ministries and clubs. Where is this taking place? In Los Angeles, California. The move of God began in Roosevelt High School two years ago. A watershed movement came when opposing gangs put down their weapons and met each other in the gym for prayer, along with 400 other students who had gathered to hear a heartfelt and compelling message. They heard the gospel. They didn't get a latte. They didn't get told they're going to get to see a rock and roll show that'll make them feel good about themselves I'm not trying to be cruel. I just It's just time for us to wake up. Preach the gospel. Stay faithful to Christ. Exalt the Lord Jesus. Lift up his cross. Preach his saving power to deliver from sin. And you will see millions, millions pour in. Millions of people are starving to know him. Let's preach him. Let's communicate him. I think we're really, really weary of Christian cardboard counterfeits of the gospel. Well, thank you all for listening. Lord willing,
1: we'll have time together again soon. God bless. Bye-bye.